p.m. Every Sunday, town's always about the culture. Do out in sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it our way, no need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. Welcome back, audience. Welcome back. Episode 125 of After Dinner Conversations. I'm Mike. Steven's here. Corey here. The whole gang is here. Um, we're looking forward back to another great week of conversations. If you do not know, it's your first time check, tuning in. We talk about recent topics, coming of age topics, things that are on everyone's minds, things that are serious, not serious. And we're here to just have a nice family-centered conversation. And all, as always, we'll do a check-in. Corey, how you doing? Steven, how you been doing, bro? Um, things are going good. I'm out here in Mike City. Um, shout out to Philadelphia. Um, out here at Roots Picnic. Um, so shout out to all the amazing artists that are out here, um, doing great work, putting on great shows. Um, it was a dope time yesterday, and I will be out there again today. I think the weather's a little bit better today, so super excited for that. Got some um other travel stuff coming up, so I'm really enjoying. Looking forward to the summer. Yeah, that's good, man. I'm straight, man. Um, went to Cigar Lounge the other day. That zone was tough. Um, so Mike, when you pull up, we gotta head there. Corey, when you pull up, we gotta head there for sure. Big cigars, yeah. big whiskeys. Hold that whole watch of straight whiskeys. Like it was crazy. Um, but other than that, I'm Gucci. I saw hold on, hold on, I saw the new Spider Man. Guys, 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 guys. I gotta see it this week. It was good. It was phenomenal. The first of all, the end is gonna have you sick. But right. the movie is phenomenal. The animation, I thought it was a good last movie. They probably, to me, it feels like they stepped it up even more. Um, the plot, great. They built it up nice. And if you, I don't know if, I don't know if you played this, Corey, but maybe Mike. Uh, there was a Spider-Man game that was out on, I want to say it was PS2 or PlayStation 3. And mm-hmm. there was like five different Spider-Mans. So it was like current Spider-Man, um, the Venomish type Spider-Man, Spider-Man from like 1960s, like, or like 1940s World War One, and then there was a future Spider-Man from like 2099. And the 2099 one's like, the one, I think he's on the advertisement. He's like blue and red, and he has like claws. He looks way different, but he's in the movie. Um, And yeah, but in the movie, I think he's Spanish. Mm. And then, it's, it's crazy, bro. They have, first of all, they, they checked all the boxes. There, there's Asian Spider-Mans, there's Black Spider-Man, there's Afro-Latino Spider-Mans, there's a punk rock Spider-Man, there's like everything, everything right. under the sun. Um, but it's just really dope because they created like that whole Spideyverse and they really did a good job of like grabbing any type of Spider-Man you can think of and entering the movie. But it's just a really dope movie. I did see though, <laughs> or I did understand kind of that little, I don't know if y'all saw it, it was um uh Dr. Umar Johnson upset that the Spider-Mans were like lusting over one of the uh white protagonists in the movie. And it wasn't as bad as dudes made it see, but I when I saw the movie, I understood like how because he didn't watch the movie, obviously. Somebody could have told him that and he could have ran with it and did one of his little videos. But the movie, like I'm telling you, movies 10 out of 10, I would argue is probably the best animated movie that's came out in the last decade. Really? Yes. Yeah. And I think to be honest, it's definitely a top 10, like, superhero movie, to okay. be honest. I don't know if I'll do a top five. But also, I don't know if y'all know, Issa Rae voice accident, too. Okay. Okay, yes. now, I, I definitely got to go see it. I definitely got to mm-hmm. go see it. So, I think yeah. I saw that it was the highest rated superhero movie on IMDb. Or yeah, I saw that. You know, you know, me and Miles are biased Spider-Man fans. He said it was top five. I I, I feel like it's there, but it's like, I, I, I might have to watch it the second time. Maybe I'll watch it when it comes on, like, HBO Max or something. But it's really, really good. Like the voice acting's good, the animation's good, plot's good. They did a really good job just like integrating him, 
with this whole because you know he's Afro Latina. I think his mom's Puerto Rican, his dad's black, so they kind of have that whole mix inside. They had to cook out. He got the Spanish side of his family, his black side of his family. So and it, they they just leave you on like a nice little like wait till the next movie type of thing. So I enjoyed it a lot. I made me want to read comics again. I'm not gonna lie. Like I felt like going straight to a comic book store and picking up like 20 volumes of Spider Man just to read. So that's my that's my weekend. Yeah, that's dope, bro. I've been doing good too. Just been uh, in DC, um, getting acclimated, enjoying the people in my cohort, the programming we've been doing, um, just being able to explore the nation's capital. And uh, as I'm two years into my PhD doctoral journey, this is a great place to be reflective and, you know, get my uh, feet grounded for where I want my academic and career to head in the next two years of my mm-hmm. PhD life too as well. So yeah, everything's been dope, man. I'm glad we all doing well. I'm glad it's a good start to the summer for all of us. Hopefully for the audience too. Hope everything's going well for y'all. Uh, so we can slide right into cocktail hour. So for our first topic, the Senate just passed a bill to block student loan forgiveness and immediately end the payment pause that's been in place since 2020, since the pandemic started. Um, as well, there was, in I believe it was added to the debt relief bill as an agreement. Um, as well. Um, I did notice, so there's been some conflict as we've been talking about it, you know, recently. Uh, Stephen, you know, those conversations. Um, Biden, the, the bill that just passed in the Senate and the House, Biden said that if it got to his desk, he would veto it. So it was like, that was like a standalone bill. Now, if the bill is included in the packaging agreement, it might just go through anyway, because, you know, politics and agreements, you're not going to stand back on that. But as a stand, we'll go with the first scenario. It was passed in the House with some Democrats went to the Republican side. It was passed in the Senate. Some Democrats went with with Republicans, um, and now it might head to um, Biden's desk, and he has the power to veto it or sign it into law if he chooses. Just want to see what y'all thoughts are on the even the issue of it being uh, the student loan, uh, the debt relief, and the payments being restarted, and uh, yeah, just like where you think the state of that topic is going for as far as consumers and far as like the government. Did it um, say? Oh, go ahead, Stephen. No, I was gonna ask. Did it say what the vote count was for Senate? I want to say it was either like 53 or 56 to like 33, 30, 36 or something like that. And there's some abstaining? Yeah. No, some okay. All right. What are you going to say, Corey? You can go first. No, I'm saying, um, I mean, I think there's been a, a huge conversation about debt in general as we looked at the debt ceiling, which I believe was raised for the next two years, um, if I'm not mistaken, just a couple of days ago. And so knowing that that happened, I think, for us as sort of onlooker onlookers, we don't necessarily know what those conversations look like in in the chambers to say, hey, if we're gonna raise the debt ceiling, these are going to be the follow-up repercussions of that. Right. So I think it's hard to raise the debt ceiling without addressing other forms of debt that are that are taking place. And I think student loans were the biggest debt discussion at this point to figure out, hey, what's gonna happen next? Are we going to remove it are we going to continue it but again i think it's hard to raise the debt ceiling and not address this sort of enormous dollar value debt that that is taking place so i'm not surprised that the conversation is happening i'm really not surprised that some democrats join the republican side because i think again when things get passed i think we always see the end result not knowing again how the conversations happen hey i'll vote for you on this if you vote for me on this and i think we we all know that those types of things um happen in government um i think it's definitely not ideal i think especially we saw we've seen in the past couple years 
discretionary spending, how things like that look. People aren't spending as much. We see what's going on. People still aren't able to afford this and that. Inflation, uh, interest rates, everything is, is going up. And so purchasing power is going down. I think that will only continue if student loans are resumed because now you have this additional expense that you didn't necessarily have for the past, what, three and a half years almost at this point, three, three yeah. and a half years um, and so to bring that back into your monthly spending, your monthly budget will definitely change the way you're able to spend your dollar. And I don't know if we really plan for addressing that element of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Corey, mm -hmm. but also, and I, Mike, I don't know, if, I think we talked about this in chat because they talked about bringing back doing retroactive payments. So payments you've missed during that time too, right? Yeah, and interest too. They have lost and interest. Money. They have lost. So like, money. we're talking about an even different ball game. Like, we're talking about like, hey, y'all owe us some money, money. Like, <laughs> they have lost their mind. That that is that's a terrible idea for just on on all counts. I mean, you know, you know, the, the country hates poor people. I think that's been a a consistent thing we've we've said on this podcast and other platforms for years and years and years. I really wonder how it's going to, I think, play from the presidential standpoint once the election comes around next year. If we look at, you know, quote unquote, uh, President Biden's promises, I don't know if he's delivering what he said he would to um, his constituents. And also, I feel like when, when, when I'm looking, well, here, here's the thing, right? If he vetoes it, right, he's going to need, I think, two thirds of both Senate and House mm -hmm. Yep, uh, to 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 overcharge it, I don't think it would happen. So mm -hmm. I'm not too too worried. Um, oh, the numbers was uh 52 to 46. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I knew the Senate was going to be close. So if you overrides it, it's just going to die in the Senate. It might go through the House, but it'll die in the Senate. So I'm not too worried about that. But I think it's not beyond the pale that within by the time we get to the next election year, people are going to change their minds in terms of who of how they feel about this policy. And I think I spoke about this on the pod multiple times. I know many people, uh, boomer generation, what you call them, Corey, or someone, the silent generation, whatever <laughs> the folks' names is. Yeah. Who, who, <laughs> who That's the world one. Yeah, they up there, bro. All them folks, they absolutely hate the fact that we have loan forgiveness sitting there in the beckoning. And you know me, I, I keep it real with old folks. I ask them all the time, how much did it cost for you to go to college for four years? Especially when I hear anything under 10000 I tell them they're disqualified from being a part of this conversation because they don't even cover the technology fee at universities now. And they would not survive. I don't care how smart, how dedicated they were. If they lived in this era and they had the same financial opportunities, they would not survive. But unfortunately, these people are probably the most active voting pool. <laughs> so here we are not fighting, not well, fighting amongst ourselves, but also not creating enough strength in numbers among our generation to kind of make sure they don't get their way. Nonetheless, I have a funny feeling that by the time we get to, I don't, to be, I don't, I don't think it's going to really affect Biden until it gets closer to the election. I think he's going to try to hold this off until next year's election. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I feel like they might find a way to kind of keep pushing it. And I think the minute he's in office, those first 100 days, them payments are coming back in the first 100 days. I could be wrong. It might come back in August for real, and we might be slow, but I don't think – I think he's going to have a tough time winning next year. And if we had those loans come back, 
Mike, he might as well throw in the towel now. He might as well put on a red tie. Put on what's what's their what's their logo? The elephant over there? Put an elephant pin on his shirt, on his suit tie, and call it a day, bro. Cause them boys is not winning with them little giraffes. It's not happening. Now, now, Mike, what were you saying at the beginning in terms of we don't necessarily know whether it's an independent bill or if it's part of the larger debt relief? Yeah, I've, been, I, I've read two different articles. Uh, I've read a few articles. Some said that it was might have been. So, you know, they've been Republicans and uh, Democrats. They were and their staffers, I guess. They were uh, doing a lot of negotiations about what the debt, the debt ceiling raising package would be. So they try to because mm. because the. House has the Republican majority, so they get to you know have some leverage in the negotiations. Um, now you would say, shouldn't the Democrats have raised this when they had the majority in both houses like two years ago? Of course, but that would make sense, and then you know that would require you to you know operate with some type of thinking into the future. But either way, so yeah, and they might so they were able to get some concessions from the Democratic side. Um, so if there was a if it was if it was a case, now nah, this might be just me not fully piecing things together. And so I apologize. I'm not trying to send any misinformation out to the public. But if it was a part of that deal, then Biden would have to like pass it through because it was just they agreed upon it to get the debt relief passed. But if this was just a standalone bill um where they try to get rid of the debt relief and the and start the repayments immediately, that might be a different bill that passed through the House and Senate on its own as gotcha. well. Or there might have just been, all right, we're just going to start the repayments as a part of debt ceiling bill and let that go through. Um and then because I think even the department of the secretary of education, he was like, this is a great deal. And then they already put out some timelines that you might have to start paying by September, October, um, like, you know, 60 days, I think after June 30th, um, something like that. Um, so I think it might be either the repayments were part of the, the um, debt ceiling. Okay. Yeah, but the, but also for people who are wondering, wondering about the, um, the debt relief one, as in you get to $20,000 off your thing, that's currently being challenged in the courts because Biden did it through executive order. So, I mean, you do anything through executive order, they're probably going to challenge it. Um, so we're, you have to wait on the Supreme Court, who's hyper right wing, <laughs> uh, or at least has a right wing majority, I should say, um, to uh, decide on whether that's uh, constitutional, quote unquote, or not. Yeah, it's looking like GG's, no worries. I mean, hey, the Department of Education is in the executive branch, so technically, he could just call the secretary and be like, I want to cancel everything. And he should have the authority to do so. But the Supreme Court has to interpret whether that's the you know, separation of power reality that we live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the thoughts about that. The mood is all solemn now. Um, but it's a sensitive topic. That's all we talk about. You know, we got to keep it up, keep people, you know, keep our thoughts active on it too. Um, but we can slide into our next cocktail topic um, related to politics. But it's the summer presidential uh, run declarations. Next year is election year for president 2024. I'm sure the whole world always knows um, when the presidential elections happen because we make a big deal about it in our politics, of course, as we should. Um, so there's a list of people who have declared as of, as of May 25th. This is the most recent list I could find. Um, and for the Democratic side, you have Biden, of course, Marianne Williamson. She ran in 2020 and 2016, I believe. They ain't um, do nothing, bro. I ain't do a damn thing. Just in um, fun. Exactly. And you have Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, who's an interesting person on the Democratic side. And then for Republicans, we got Trump is back for another run. Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, Hutchison, Larry Elder, Tim Scott. Uh, and of course, Ron DeSantis. And I think that Mike Pence, former vice president, and Chris Christie. He was on CNN, right? Who, uh, which one? Rams, Rams, Swam, Swam. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been doing a lot of, a lot of his 
talks have been going, been going viral because he's like, uh, he orates kind of well, uh, but he's been speaking about these critical, not critical, but sensitive topics. Um, he has some strong opinions on them. So uh, he has been seeing some more social media virality uh, uh, in recent days, recent weeks, I should say. Okay. Now, is yeah, he going to win anything? GG's for him. No, yeah. he ain't going to win nothing. Elder? Larry, yeah, Larry Elder, yeah. <laughs> Tim Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then Tim Scott. Tim Scott keep running for things and losing. There's always one or two black Republicans who, who are over ambitious in their in, in their position in that party. And they don't realize that they have no chance. But that's none of my business. Yeah, I don't know what can, but it also helps your national profile. It does. I also don't know what um what's it which Kennedy is that, bro? There's too Robert many of them. Is that Rob? Robert, like, Robert there's like 20 Robert Kennedys, bro. <laughs> I have good luck. Bro, there is. I'm saying, I thought Mike said Robert Kennedy. I'm like, Robert Kennedy. Ain't no way that poor gone. No, yeah, he, he, he did in this. Uh, Round time, Dr. King did. I think the same year. I'm saying, a month, two months. Yes, yeah, either the same year or the year after. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Now, nah, the Kennedys be having terrible luck. He should have never even ran. Yo. <laughs> I mean, they do, bro. They do historically. <laughs> they, I see I see like a whole 10 minute clip on YouTube what happened to the entire family. I was like, nah, this is no way, bro. Yeah. Like, was, they was all Catholic. I'm like, God, come on. Why you do this? No, respectfully, the powers that be just may have something against their family because there's always some tragedy that happens. And, you know, it's, it's, it is pretty sad. Nah, that, that junk is a heavy beef, bro. Like, it needs to be investigated. It needs to be investigated. But yeah, go ahead. My fault. I interrupted. No, you're good. No, I just, that was a conversation about just literally, like, you know, Thoughts on who joined the race, just any just any outlooks that I might have about what's coming up. We 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 haven't really gotten to the, you know, the um public debates and opening speeches and stuff. That probably comes like later in the summer and stuff like that. But yeah, Democrats have three, Republicans have like yeah, um six or seven, maybe potentially eight joining. And um well, with assumption Biden's gonna run again. I know why. I also don't know why at the same time. Um I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna keep my short and sweet, I'm gonna give it to Corey. Uh, we're we're getting a 2020 rematch, right? This is gonna be like it's gonna feel like WrestleMania, right? Where you just kind of have the two big headliners going back at it for the title. Terrible comparison for the politics, but just stick with me. You and then you have all these little side characters who try to make it about themselves. The the Tim Scotts of the world. The what's this guy's name? Hutchinson. They're 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 not even a thought in anybody's mind, bro. I don't even know if the constituents from their state know them, right? So. Tim Scott definitely, but like Hutchison Elder, do they really know those guys? They don't. So pack them up. I think Larry Elder is a congressional congressperson. I think well, he's just, oh, he's just black and rich, and he ran. Yo, Stephen coming, bro. Everybody did. You can when you're rich, you can run. Didn't Bloomberg run or something just for fun? Like he have no chance either. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think the people who have big names, quote unquote, right? Your Trump, DeSantis. Maybe Pence, but I doubt it. Pence has no personality. He won't win. Um, and Christy, it'll be like a little slugfest over there. But Trump, he's just too, he's just going to pack him up, bro. He already been starting. He, yo, it's going to be a nasty election season. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I'll say real quick on Larry Elder. He's just a, he's a right wing political commentator and talk, radio talk host, excuse me. Uh, he tried to run for governor in 2001, uh, 2001, 2021, where um, they tried to do the recall on Gavin Newsom. But he lost, of course. In that so he couldn't even win a governor's race, and he decides going for president. So he's gonna, he's gonna, he's not even gonna get point one in primaries, and he's gonna throw his twenty votes to Tim Scott or DeSantis, and then depending on Trump gives position, it might be Trump too. So again, side characters trying to be main. What do they say, well, Mike? Bench players talking like a start, like they're stars. I hate it. Pack them up. No, and no. then the what's her name, Williamson? 
and Kennedy, those are formality runs. They're really not running. The party's going to tell them to step down like after one debate, just so it seems like Biden won. Um, you got you, you got to dispel the 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 look of um, not tyranny per se, but like lack of choice. Like you want people to think they have choice when it comes to choosing a Democratic nominee. Because I think when you don't do that, people are like, oh, my God, we don't even get to choose who our Democratic nominee is. What, t- what type of um, power-hungry party is this? And this and the third. So, yeah, that's my two cents. We're getting a rematch in 2020. Godspeed to everybody. I will now drink the rest of my drink. Um, no, I mean, I think Stephen hit it on the head when he mentioned the 2020 rematch. But I think similar to that 2020 rematch, it'll be a reminder of how divided the country is. Right. Because I think in 2020, when you ask folks on either side of, you know, whether Republican or Democrat, they'd be like, oh, nobody would vote for for that person. They they would know better than that. And, and this would literally be either side. Right. And I think they felt the that exact way about the other candidate. And I think that's going to happen again in 2024. Nobody's going to vote for you know, they said they were going to promise debt relief and they didn't do it. And now mm-hmm. nobody's going to vote for them or this person's been indicted. Nobody's going to vote like it's it's going to be the similar talking points to where you're realizing, yo, America's split 50 50. Right. Because, I mean, if we look at, I think, the popular vote for 2020, it was re- it was really close. Like we're not talking about a landslide in either way. And that's what it would have seemed like, depending on who you were asking on that given day at that given time. And I think. 2024 will be what some will say surprisingly close but i don't think it can be considered a surprise anymore because i think we know depending on where you are what city what side of town you're going to get a whole different answer and i think you know in the past three elections it's sort of been that way and i think people continue to act surprised and i don't know why the surprise still exists anymore to be honest so people live in their own world core you know that what do you think mike yeah, you're the political commentator of the podcast, so facts. I own that. This is this is out of my out of my arena. <laughs> I, 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 give, I, mean, I give a casual I think, take. I think I think the most interesting thing is going to be the Trump versus DeSantis feud and back and forth because you already know Trump is you know who he is and how he can be and how he's going to get um and how competitive. I don't know if competitive is the right word, but he's pretty cutthroat with his politics and how he he attacks his uh uh his competitors. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I think a a underwritten storyline might be not for this election, but just kind of the democratic trajectory politics is where does Kamala Harris fit in in this whole, you know, mm. who's who's up Nowhere. next? Biden, because you know, even whether Biden wants or loses, this is his last election, of course, because he's pretty old, respectfully. Um, but who who's up next for them? All right, <laughs> for third time. Nah, but where does where does Kamala Harris fit in in the whole trajectory of it? Um, because I call it underwritten storyline because she's um. There's not a lot of viable candidates on Republican or Democratic side. Just like there was like a young plucky senator and, and like um Obama was in 2007, uh, like who had this, who showing some skill, showing some promise, you know, might have ways they can appeal to both sides of the aisle. Um, there's I don't I don't see that. And people say DeSantis, but DeSantis is not a popular person. I don't, he's also not very um he's not he's very sort of popular. He doesn't have good charisma. Like, you know, to be a politician, you really have to be like a rock star certain type of type of thing. You have to be appealing. You have to be approachable. You know, you need to have those like it might sound stereotypical, but you need those qualities of who you are as a person. Um, and he doesn't really exude that, in my opinion. 
You know, he doesn't really exude those type of charisma. He doesn't really exude the personality that makes you want to, you know, feel like you can connect with him. He's very also very hard line on the very hyper right wing culture war things. So I don't know. I don't think he's like someone that's going to be like gain a lot of national popularity, which is different than your your hyper right wing small base. Um, but yeah, that's just my thoughts on that because. Yeah, that's my thoughts on that because I just think Kamala just has an interesting place in the country that she's had a grind, a groundbreaking. Like, yep, she had a groundbreaking uh, position. Least, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't, I just don't think she's respected into in the party as much as people think. And mm. I told you, I think it's very hard for me to have faith in a country who, again. I think it was a Hillary. Hillary, what she won a popular vote, lost electoral college, and people, I think, argue she was the most qualified candidate ever in terms of how much she served within Congress and the Senate and how long she's been a part of that oh, whole Secretary of State. Secretary of State, like no, she's no, the most qualified, yeah, just... and she still lost. Um, and I think this country is just not going to give somebody like Kamala Harris a chance, even if she ran. And I think the Democratic Party knows that because I think they probably ideally would have loved to have ran her or whoever's VP to like take over for Biden. Because I think Biden's age is showing and it's showing badly. And we can sit here and make comments all about not being aged to Santa third. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging somebody is old and they might be better off in a different position. I don't know if I would want to give the president of the United States the most important job to somebody as old as Biden. Like, I don't think it's even good for his health, if I'm being honest. So, but they don't really have anybody else to run because, like you said, Mike, there's not really anybody who has any charisma on, from, on the Democratic side. Now, yeah, I mean, you, you, you can, is Cory Booker still not a viable candidate? Uh, eyes are too wide. He steers people. I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> not his I'm, eyes are too I'm, wide. I'm super kidding. Super kidding. But no, I don't, he, I don't know if you don't think, I don't think he's done. <laughs> I think he's done, and I also don't think we're you know we already got one light skinned black president. They're not gonna give, give folks another one for like another. You're laughing. I'm giving you the honest. Like these are people think when people think about voting, they don't even look at the policies. They just start thinking about things. They're gonna be like, oh, they got they about to get another black president. They're not gonna vote for him, bro. And you remember, you gotta remember. I think I think it's very hard in my opinion. Like when you run for president, you really gotta come from like a state state, bro. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? And not to say anything about Jersey. I think Jersey's fine state. Um, but it's just quite, it's just not quite big enough to like get that attention. Like, you know, I think Trump was running from Florida, even though he's from New York. Hillary was running from New York. Um, who else am I forgetting? Obama was running from Illinois, Chicago. Like, if you're not coming from a, a, a state with a city that has like five, 10 plus million like city population. It's hard. Like, your VP can be from anywhere. Like, Mike Pence is from Indiana, right? Who the hell cares about Indiana? Nobody. So, and I, I can't remember who ran on, on the VP for Hillary's side, but I'm pretty sure he was from a small state, too. Like, you can be from a small state. You just can't be president. You're going to be VP, usually. Mm. What do you say, Mike? South Carolina. No, it was Tim Kaine. He was from, like, South Carolina. It was, it wasn't, that was a, a critique of hers. It wasn't a good VP pick. That yeah, it wasn't a good VP. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, mm. if you go look at, I mean, I'm not saying that's always what happens, but traditionally when you go look at presidential nominees and you consider like the time and everything else, a lot of times they've came from bigger states or they come from states where the 
the party is the strongest. Like, you know, you can have a president from Arkansas, like Bill Clinton, because that's a very Republican state. It's in the deep South, no doubt about it. You know, so you got it's it like it just has to fit, and I don't think it necessarily fits for Kamala. Like she has the California thing checked, but I don't think she has the influence or the the cash day to get it done. So is is AOC too left? AOC would never be president. We shouldn't even entertain the thought. All right, keep keep, keep, keep it keep it keep it keep it keep it moving. <laughs> no, bro, I'm being honest, bro. I live out here, bro, and I am. I, I, I just think I just think she's too. Uh, She's too polarizing. I don't think she would just mm-hmm. have the national. Like the, the ceiling, opinion. the ceiling is Senate, and that's a maybe, and that's hard. Mm. I think you know she she found her niche, and I think she she has much more wiggle room to com- to complete the things she wants as a House of. Uh, that makes House sense. Senate. That makes sense. That's no shit on her. Shout out to AOC. Yeah, yeah, know. exactly. It's just like um, you talk about yeah. you got to think about national appeal and you know, exactly, exactly, all bases in their home states and. I don't know. It's like she's had like a lot of there's a lot of controversy yeah. her and stuff like that. I don't know. It'll, it'll be hard to see. Like I mean, I don't, I don't know. It'll be hard to see. It'll be hard to see if she can really get that whole like bipartisan voting across the country. Um, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Uh, it's a whole different conversation. So into our last t- cocktail topic. Uh, with summer barely started, there's already a lot of raging wildfires happening across the country and internationally too as well. There's been pretty bad fires happening in Nova Scotia, Canada, and Michigan, and Ashtabula, Ohio. I didn't even know where I was. I had to look it up by when I saw on the news. Um, and it's just like those are burning a lot of forests. They're creating a lot of smoke and pollution. They're damaging property, homes, livelihoods, jobs, you know, materials that people need to get through. Um, and it's a number, it's another summer, um, like we had last summer in the past few years, where wildfires are threatening a lot of people's on a wide or a very large scale. Um, we seem like we don't have any uh, immediate solutions for. I uh, just want to get y'all quick thoughts on just like what is the state of this cloud fire, climate uh, fire catastrophe and why haven't we been able to really, you know, find a way to deal with it, you know? Yeah, um, I'll have to look that up too. That Ashtabula, I'm like, is that close to me? That's not close to me. Thank God. Um, like, yeah, you know, I don't know. We saw the. Yeah, we got AI, we got robots you know, doing backflips. But we can't stop a wildfire in 2023 at large scales, of course. Yeah, scales. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how much I can really even add to this because I, I remember when we had the uh, conversation last year about I think the California wildfires in Arizona that were so bad, the smoke and haze made it all the way, I think, to the East Coast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one is unfortunate. Two, I don't know if there's it's hard to create preventative measures for wildfires because they're wildfires. Like (laughs) they're happening uncontrolled in environments where like it's highly susceptible, but susceptible. Y'all know the word I'm trying to say, but it's the preventative measures, you know, I don't know if we even have the financial infrastructure to do that. Like you can't watch necessarily for wildfires, you know, especially in the mass forests in certain parts of the country, like California, even some parts of like the East Coast. Think about like West Virginia has a massive, massive forest. They don't get many forest fires, I would think. But usually where these are happening, they're large bodies of land that can, you know, do catastrophic damage when the right spark gets lit. So I don't know what our solution is. I think it's unfortunate. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, I think Steven made a good point. I mean, I think is to Mike's point about us having AI and robots and being as smart as we are, 
there's still some stuff when it comes to natural disasters and climate change that I don't know if we're ready to admit that we don't have control over. We don't have, you know, full knowledge of. And I think, you know, there's some stuff that we just have to, I don't know if we're too far gone from our impact on the climate, you know, in terms of what we've done to damage it, for lack of a better term. But I think they're definitely, I think the conversation has certainly started. Um, but I don't know if we're ready to take the action necessary to sort of turn back the hands of time uh, when it comes to to the climate, because it takes a concerted global effort, right? I think a lot of times we look at these things from a country basis or a continent basis, but if we talked about how far the impact can travel, right? We're talking about something that happened in Canada impacting the Carolinas. We're talking about something that happened in California impacting the East Coast. These aren't things that we can deal with on a state level. I don't even think a national level. I think this takes a global concerted effort. And I don't know if we're ready to have those conversations because that takes first world countries working with third world countries. That takes, you know, folks that don't get along working together because this isn't something that's a diplomatic issue mm -hmm. this is something that relates to the health of of the globe and i don't know if we're ready for that conversation i agree yeah and this is a, that's a great transition into our topic today we're going to talk about climate change future um and to start off there's a growing threat of climate change now there's wildfires of course and there's hurricanes there's floodings there's um Tornadoes, there's hailstorms, there's a lot of ways that hurt, and there's a lot of ways that um, climate change has created stronger, and the blizzards too, has created stronger and stronger climate events that have been more and more damaging uh, across the world. And I wanted to have start off the conversation talking about does the risk of climate change and its, and its increasing strength uh, really is that a factor in where you plan on planting your roots, as in like I'm going to live in a certain area of a country or a different country across the globe? Or something like that. Like, does it really affect where we're choosing our planning as a as a foreign part, a factor, or part of it? Excuse me. Um, or just like we don't care. Yes, and <laughs> I think know. yes, and I think people will continue to judge my decisions on where I say I'm going to live. But I mean, I think I've always probably considered more long term factors when it comes to choosing a place to live. Like when people would say, "Corey, you want to go back to Connecticut?" And I'm just like. Well, I mean, name me a better state when it comes to, you know, things like healthcare and education and, and things of that nature. And so I think now climate does play an additional factor, not that it would be a determining factor solely, I don't think, but I think it certainly would play a factor um, as a part of those long-term decisions. Because I think for me, I always try to think, hey, I'm going to be here for 10 years. Even if I'm going to be there a shorter period of time, I try to make it with that decision or with that mindset uh, as the premise of my decision. So I would definitely can consider uh, the climate change factors. And I think it's becoming more and more evident day to day. But I think also you don't necessarily know how climate change will impact a certain place, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, th you think you do, and then the climate does something completely different, right? You think some, something's going to be, oh, this is going to be fine. And the next day it gets a, a blizzard or a tornado that wipes right through because I think that's the point of climate change. We're trying to avoid it because I don't think we fully understand the impact that it's going to have. And so I think it, it becomes harder to make that decision despite it being a factor in my decision-making. Yeah. Um, I think I'm similar to Corey. I'll probably get judged, but I say the same thing. I'm like, 
don't put me nowhere where there's tornadoes. If you get hurricanes, that's GGs. If you have droughts, that's GGs. And you you see the state start falling along quick, just start disappearing. Boom, 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 boom. So I think it's a, I think more so not climate change, I think, plays a factor. I think natural disasters always played a big factor for me. It's been like that since high school, I think. I've always like loved to visit these places. And then once I started learning like the type of disasters people were having in their states, I said, Oh no, I just can't do it. I can't imagine me having to worry every tornado season of a tornado like ripping through my house and then having to rebuild and then start all over. Like that's that's wild to me. And people complain about the snow and the blizzard in the Northeast. Listen, the authorities have done a really good job of increasing their infrastructures for them heavy snow. I don't be seeing a lot of roofs collapsing collapsing these days. It's just annoying to shovel. And that's, you know, you can deal with that more so than rebuilding a home because of a hurricane or flooding from a hurricane or a tornado. Or on the flip side, if you're like in Northern California, you're getting mudslides. Or if you're in Southern California or whatever part of California, they get the wildfires. Like there's so many natural disasters. Everybody's got like one. But when you got two or three as potentials, it's just a lot for me. So I think I've always had about maybe five or 10 states where I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely live here long term if I'm in the United States. If I'm not, then that's a different game. Um, And I think, you know, Climate change and potential change is going to only shorten my list, unfortunately. So um, no judgment to anybody who lives in all these other states. It's blessings and love to y'all state. I just will not be a resident. I'll come visit y'all, though. No, I fully agree. Um, it's a factor for me. Just like, it's funny you say that, Stephen. You live in a middle America, tornado-threatened state <laughs> right now. Um, but even as I live in the South, too, I just, it's always a factor for me, too. Because I don't want to deal with it. Now, nah, a still storm I can deal with. I grew up in the Northeast. I, I like them. You know, I don't, if you can't drive for a day or two, it's all right. Whatever. It's all right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't like losing power, but, you know, I think Northeast has a good handle on that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as compared to different parts of the country. But I think it should be a factor. Um, and it's a factor because it can be, it's like the threat of it is like there's some damage that you just can't come back from like you were experienced a wildfire if you experience a hurricane or a high flood and it like little bit destroys your whole home like that you, there's no i'm gonna wait for it to get rebuilt there's no i can live i can afford to live in a hotel with my family for umpteen amount of months and days and like you're gonna have to you're, you're gonna become an immediate climate refugee and you're gonna have to relocate on the go and if you're at money you're funding and if the you know the federal response from fema or the state response isn't adequate enough or moving fast enough to really get you what you need that's a that's a pretty bad situation that can happen within the united states at any time depending on where you live uh and what the threat of the natural disaster is at that time too california and them earthquakes i would never i can't i can't with them earthquakes earthquakes bro earthquakes hey californians are always will be a lot more stronger than i'll ever be I don't know if I could deal with it. Even, uh, it. even it's not come, even if they come as infrequent as they do, I just do, I just don't want to experience one. Keep it, bro. Yeah, just not for I me. Just, like I've seen again, movies are not representation of real life. If you tell me what what happens in real life is worse than the movies, I see the ground opening and buildings collapsing, and there's nowhere to run, Mike. God, God, come take me, bro. That's that was it. That was the journey right there. That's right. Nope. Uh, and there's always like an intersectional conversation we can always have with this type of climate change talk too, because you know people are poor, more black and brown tend to live in these more higher climate risk areas, not just in the United States but globally too as well. Um, and as I'm going into my next topic, there was a story that really came out literally in the past like two or three weeks that State Farm, one of the largest insurance companies in the United States, 
announced that it would not accept any new application for business or personal property and casual and casualty insurance in the state of California. Because as we as we've been talking about, California does get a a a grouping of uh, climate disasters from wildfires, from earthquakes, um, and some and some other things in between too as well. Um, so as we're putting all these factors together, like what does that say about the state where we're heading? If a major insurance is saying, like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let y'all have applications for home or business uh, related expenses because the climate, um, the climate claims are just too much and they come too often and, and they're too expensive for the insurance side. They, they give them California more ammo to leave the leave the union. <laughs> the, become the fifth the largest uh, economy in the world on their own. Nah, the way Corey rolled his eyes, bro, is <laughs> No, I mean, I think it's just it's so, I think it's terrifying. Right. Not not necessarily because of the financial impact, which I would imagine played a significant role in State Farm's decision. But knowing from, you know, having friends and having done some work with and at insurance companies, the forecasting and the modeling that goes into their premium discussions and their insurance packaging and things like that. They probably have a lot more information on the future of climate change than we do as the general public. And so I just wonder what those conversations and those models are saying, right? And I think, again, climate change always, in my opinion, takes a back seat on the news cycle. There's always something more important. Climate change might have something at the bottom on the banner, you know, letting us know that a wildfire happened, but it's always going to take back seat to an election. It's always going to take back seat to a mass shooting. It's always going to take back seat to, to something else, to, to a sporting event, right? You know, it's always going to take a back seat. And I think knowing that insurance companies are now making this decision, likely based on a lot of data, a lot of research, a lot of anal analysis, and Mike being a researcher himself can, can tell you that these numbers are peer-reviewed and looked over and analyzed and questioned and, and all of these things and so this wasn't a a decision on a whim mm -hmm. and so you know if i'm thinking about california to live on knowing that one of the largest insurers which is probably one of the most profitable insurers as well is using its models its research and its ana analysis to make a decision that we don't want to insure here anymore i would be terrified much less as the more california's like if not the most, but one of the most populated states in the country, had like however many million people that live there uh, currently. Um, it's like Corey said, it is very terrifying. Uh, Steve, did you have a chance to go? Apologize. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. I said when they say, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, so, what does it mean if you live in California? I mean, that's, I guess that's great for other insurers who still uh, work in, in California, but um, that just might be like an early sign of the direction we're heading. Uh, so they might not be actual livable, these places. And like we're talking about 10, 15 years timelines, but they might not be physically livable, livable but they also might be financially um, be incentivized to live there too as well. And that might, hey, if it's a real big thing, something serious really happens and people hypothetically not wishing it, not saying it's going to happen, but hypothetically, like, you know, there's a max a mass exodus, excuse me, from California because of climate reasons. Like, you know, yeah. what does that mean for the state of California? What does it mean for their economy, for people there, for the poor people there who can't move and live? Um, where they want to or at a whim to at the same time. So definitely a lot to think about and to look forward to. Uh, not look forward to, but to yeah, that's what that's wrong, what wrong reason, yeah. Well, to anticipate as we're moving into the future. Now you good. Um, that's what I would say. Like just to add this last note, um, that you when you look at that right and you kind of see how California is kind of like 
I don't know, keep and maintain its population. If you think about California and its totality in terms of its economy, we talk, we joke about it all the time, fifth largest in the world if it was independent. Um, but you also got to look at, you know, how much entertainment exists there. You know, they have four basketball teams, at least three or four football teams, at least three baseball teams. Like there is yep. a very strong entertainment and sports culture there. And that definitely takes a hit when people migrate. And so now you kind of think about some of the conversations we had in the past about, um, uh, I just blanked on the word. Um, I'm about to say reimbursement, but it's not reimbursement. <laughs> Reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, and how California is kind of investigating those um, options for their citizens. Like, you can kind of see how these kind of tie in together because you need to be able to keep your population. And I don't know if you've ever all been to Arizona. There's a lot of people from Arizona I've met. They're all from California. They said, you know, they lived there when they were younger. It was cool, but they came right down to Arizona. Weather's just as hot. It's a bit quieter. Taxes are different. I don't know. There's different opportunities there. So we'll see how how that plays with State Farm. Um, I can imagine that there's going to be some blowback on State Farm for that, and maybe California too, but we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Not for sure. Um, and going to our last uh, point of discussion on this topic. So as a policy solution, there's been some big talks, or not big talks, there's been conflict between the petrochemical or the gas and oil industry and uh, the federal government as far as like what emission cuts look like. Um, I think Obama had put some in, Trump rolled them back, Biden, like, you know, the whole question of regulation uh, and like, and far as how that can, how can we regulate our energy industries to help the impact of their emissions and their uh, carbon footprint too as well. And so recently it was said that emission cuts as a policy solution were discovered to have unintended consequences. Um, to quote an article, uh, so on one hand, cutting fossil fuel uh, pollution is necessary for avoiding severe destruction over the long term, but such cuts will make the earth hotter in the short term. And so even if something as popular and well-known as cutting the emissions from a energy industry or for a company or whichever, um, is said to have these kind of paradoxical consequences, uh, is there really any viable solution that we can think of to rein in climate change impact? Now, we're not climate experts by any means, but it's just an open conversation uh, for us in the audience to just kind of think like, what kind of, is there really a solution? Is there is it one solution? Is it many solutions? Is it, oh, like Corey said, is it a global global effort to really move? I know we had the Paris Climate Accord, and that's a global pact for how they address climate change within their own countries, respectively. Um, but like, is there, like, what do y'all think the scale of the solution should be? Uh, I mean, I think I think it takes many, many solutions. Right. I mean, I think the United States, I don't know. I forget what the Biden mandate was for. Um, I'm a, a car person, so I'm going to give a, the car analogies or the car emission standards. But I think it was 2030 or 2035 that uh, North American car manufacturers, all new vehicles needed to be 50 percent EVs, I believe, or something of that nature. Um, and then you and then you read the article similar to what Mike just mentioned about the fact that, you know, it's almost double the impact for fossil fuels or whatever has to be done to build the batteries up front. Right. And so it's a longer term solution, because once the batteries are built, EVs give off less emissions. But I think the impact on climate and the environment to build the batteries themselves, the lithium and everything that's being dug and mined and everything like that had a much larger impact. But to that, on that same point, if by 2035, 50% of EVs in 
the United States are, or 50% of new vehicles in the United States are EVs, but Canada or Mexico don't have that same standard, then what good necessarily does that decision make if we've talked about how closely related that these decisions are? If Canada has a wildfire in Nova Scotia and it affects North and South Carolina, then us making this a mission standard in the United States, but not having a conversation with Canada and or Mexico to have similar standards, then the impact that Mexico has by still driving gasoline-powered cars will certainly get to Texas, will certainly get to Nevada and Arizona, right? And the impact from Canada will certainly get to Illinois and Michigan and uh, all these other states that are still within our national demo uh, demographic, right? And so trying to figure out what these other countries are going to do as well. They need solutions. We need solutions. It's not going to be an American issue, right? This is not a globe specifically for America, despite how much we might think it is sometimes. You know, this is a globe that includes Africa, that includes Australia, that includes Antarctica, right? I mean, again, I don't know all the, we're certainly not climate experts by any means, but if you're not bringing these places into the conversation, then making an independent solution, I don't think solves it. I think we, we're not necessarily addressing the initial impact that some of these decisions have. Again, Tesla is great. But you know, and all these other car manufacturers, Polestar and um, Rivian that are making these EVs are, are great companies. But I think there's definitely an initial impact the same way there is an initial, initial impact for everything, where if you want a long term solution, Sometimes it starts out ugly. Sometimes it starts out bad. I think we have to weigh out, does this initial impact uh, warrant the longer term solution? But also the tax credits that we were getting doesn't make it so that these EVs are going to be affordable for the average person, right? And so if we have 20, 30 new EVs, but somebody's still driving a 2009 Civic because they can't afford a new EV or whatever, or whatever the example is, then I don't know if that solves the issue. So there's a bunch of factors, and I think we're always looking at it at a super high level. And maybe that's you know what we do, and the climate experts are the ones that are addressing the the little smaller points. But there has to be more that more that's done from my from my opinion to to stop something that's been centuries you know in the making. Yeah, I do not have much to add because I think Corey hit a lot of things on the money. Um, it's it's just tough. Like there, especially I'm gonna talk to specifically the tax credit portion because I think there's been a lot of tax credit. There's a lot for solar panels, right? Um, there's some for electrical vehicles, and I've seen some where the electric vehicles like maybe like let's say sixty thousand. There's eleven thousand dollar tax credit, cool, but you're talking about fifty thousand dollars for a new car. Nobody got fifty k cash, so you gotta put them payments down and payments depending on how much you put down um, on the car before it can be as high as six, 700 a month. Bro, would... Steven, they, they talking about 1300 a month for some payments, depending on the term. Right. And again, well, they have new terms. Now they have eight year. Um, did we talk about this already? We might've talked about it, but yeah, to your point, now mm -hmm. you're, you're paying for a car that used to pay three years, 36 months, 48 months at, at the most. Now we're talking about what? 84 months, 84 months, 96 in some cases. Okay. What are we supposed to do with 96, bro? Debt traps are always evolving, man. They, they always come with new ways to get people. 40-year mortgage and eight-year uh, car loan plans, guys. They want to keep us forever. And they want us to still pay student loans? 
I'll leave that topic and cocktail hour. But we need to have a, a national conversation about debt and what does it mean for the consumer and especially in the past like 20, 30 years. And hey, higher education, like you said, that's been a, a, a ridiculous debt trap set by the government from their increasingly declining state investment in public higher education public higher education too. So yeah. Um, but but again, I mean, how how much of an impact will climate change efforts have if they're put so if they're putting the financial responsibility solely on the individual, and I say solely because, again, to Stephen's point, these tax credits, if the solar panels cost you 50000 to put on your roof or whatever the case is, and you get a $2,000 tax credit, it's like the, the financial responsibility is still on the individual. Yeah, I just, I don't know, maybe we got to get some some climate experts up in here, because I, I don't know what it, look, what, it, what it looks like for us as an average law-abiding mm-hmm. citizen in terms of solution mm-hmm. uh, it's, just, it's hard for me to figure you're it out. a black or brown climate expert researcher and you hear our voices please reach out to us engage with us uh, we would love to have anybody on who can speak more in depthly about these issues because we do think they're important but again we're not we're never going to be pretending to be actors on the podcast we never have in the past three years about everything um and oh to give my short answer to this i think like it, it's like solar panel thing i we can't even i don't think we can even mass produce solar panels without extracting more from the global south and the forest and the people already working in the mines and digging up the fields and countries in the global south is just not it's already first of all it's already not sustainable ever doing it much less if we're going to do it for a whole these all these western developed countries at this at the rate and scale that we're thinking about like you know it's not possible i think we need to invest more and again the gas and oil industry not gonna like to hear this, but we need to invest more in these kind of these renewable energies that we can produce at last scale, at larger scale, excuse me, like nuclear energy, geothermal energy, whatever the other energies are, wind energy, like I think those have a lot of potential to really be, you know, a lot more uh capable of being sustainable and being able to help people or not help people, but help our electric grids be um serviceable in the midst of climate catastrophes and things of that nature that we don't want to have to depend on that this the electric grid by itself, gas and oil by itself to help people get their lighting on, get their heat, get their food, stuff like that um, too as well. So I think renewable energy is something that definitely needs to be invested in more and just not the ones that is going to, you know, like 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 I said, not the individualized one, like, oh, you got a home, you want some solar panels. Um, we don't, and because we're in the United States, we don't talk a lot about how the extra, I'm not going to say the word, right? But the extracting of the, um, or the excavation, yeah, I already butchered it. But the extracting of other materials, I was trying to get it. Um, mm-hmm. in the global side, it, it really is unsustainable and it's doing a lot of damage to countries down there too, as well. So we can't just say that, oh, let's just produce more electric vehicles, let's just produce more batteries. And you know, chip, if you already know about the the damn um semiconductors and the chips, we already know, like, come on, like these things are not as available as we think they are. And it, I, I think we do more climate damage trying to be more having a green capitalist economy type of thing going on um, than we would just kind of getting mass produced energy that's renewable and sustainable too at the same time. But the gas and oil industry, they have tons of money, billions of dollars. And they could throw a rare at your favorite politicians to not do those things too at the same time. So back again, welcome to American politics. And But that's how we're going to end the talk right there. Uh, thank you all for another great conversation. Thank you, audience, for listening all the way through. Uh, we're going to get into our table talk really quickly. Uh, you want to do both questions? No, just, yeah, no, no, pick, no, no, pick one. Pick one. Pick, pick the one that Stephen was looking forward to before the episode. No, 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 no. Pick the right one, Mike. <laughs> All right, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll do, we'll do the light one. Let me see the the. the spicy uh, one. Oh, we gonna do a spicy one. We can do the spicy one. Do the spicy there one. we go. There we uh, go.
So what have you what have y'all seen an audience too? Think about it, hit our comments. What have what have you seen as the biggest barrier for long lasting relationships? I'm thinking, let's say a year later. After the first year, it's always cute during the first year. I'm talking about a year, long term. Like, what do we think is like a big barrier stopping people from having these more longer lasting relationships? Obviously, Steven, Steven, Steven's not going to go. I'm, I'm waiting for Corey because he's so excited for the question. <laughs> Expertise coming. The biggest barrier is social media. Mm-hmm. Yo, what a lazy <laughs> answer, bro. Or what, what a lazy answer. Oh, my God. No, but Elaborate. I mean, I, I mean, I think it, it's it's the expectation that can come from it, whether it's, uh, hey, well, why aren't you posting your partner or if you do post your partner frequently, I think you allow other folks to give their comments to, you know, your situation or whatever is going on. And so, I mean, I don't think it's social media in terms of, hey, it's specifically Instagram or it's specifically TikTok, but I think it's the telling the story of your relationship to allow others to chime in. So I think there's always going to be this external influence to something that should be very much between the two of you, right? And I think in the past, the most that you got from an external element was your families. I think now you get some random person in some random place that's randomly commenting and swears they're an expert on, yo, that's your man, but he don't post you. So that can't be a man. He must be cheating, right? It's like, bro, like he just don't post. So, I mean, I think little things like that will always, I think it's hard to, remove those external influences because i think we typically take those on in our everyday conversation and what we look at for validation and so trying to remove those so that you can focus on the relationship between yourself and your partner um is one of the biggest challenges that i would see in making it past that year that two years you know even that five year uh period i agree just kidding just kidding see that that sounds when you do the one the one we're answering now (laughs) Um, I probably say communication. I think um, maintaining strong, consistent, and improving communication over a course of like a year plus is, I think, more difficult than people realize. I think things probably could get stagnant. Things can change. People's lives can change. So it's, your communication has to be able to adapt to whatever your situation is at that time and make sure it maintains like a positive relationship between you and that individual. So I'll probably say communications. Hmm. I think I will say expectations. I think being aligned in what you what you want in the future. I think it's a, it's a hard thing for a lot of people to do, no matter what generation it is. Um, I think people, you know, and to Corey's point and to both of your points, I think this all ties them all together because the communication part of it, especially early on in your relationship and how social media does influence how people think. Uh, I think to a degree that a lot of people are not willing to admit, but you know, I think it does those principles, those beliefs, those related social media morals and ethics about how you should be or should not be moving in a relationship do impact people too as well. And do impact expectations, does impact communications. Um, and for what I say expectation, because if your future and your vision isn't aligned, um, it's like, you know, you're going to have a lot of conflict, especially if you're talking about coming closer to marriage and making big decisions, life decisions, because you're not talking about you have different religions, where you, where you want to live, your children, how many children do you want? Do you want to combine household, the classic 50-50 split conversation, you know, paying bills, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, those things really matter. Um, and it really matters to like how you're going to work together. And if your communication style isn't already aligned, you already have some, a lot of friction between how y'all kind of express yourselves, express your wants and your needs and your what you want for your future. Or if you want to live near your family or you want to live in the South, you want to live there. Like, you know, those things are big decisions. And you can't underplay them for so long to just kind of, you know, 
posting through your relationship um, as well. I think is being upfront about it is, and being honest with how you feel and what you want is difficult for a lot of people. Grown or young, you know, that's not get on young people, um, just alone. It'd be grown people who don't know what they want, don't know how to express themselves or communicate to. Um, you know, I, just, I think that's just a massive barrier right there too to, for having very longer lasting relationships because we don't talk about it. It's going to come to a head at some point and then it's like a boiling point. And then, you know, things are said that, you know, they're hurtful. Things are done that are hurtful. You know, infidelity happens. You never know. Like things just get out of hand when people have so much ten, uh, built up tension and and uh, grievances and negative feelings, you know? Yeah. It, that was great. See, we, you know, that, that wasn't that bad. Oh, right? God. <laughs> oh, God. We, we, have, we have pass offs yet? Are we, we done? Yes, we have pass offs yet. There we go. <laughs> amen, 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 amen. <laughs> now you can start. You can hit the. Hit the Let me hit the sounds, hit the tunes. Where we at? Where we at? Uh, First, we hear the me here. Oh, 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 where's the other one? Where's the other one? It's crazy. It is coming through my others, my other monitor, not my headphones. But I hope y'all heard both of those. Yeah, we did. Pastor Ox, brothers, who is leading the way? I'll go first. Um. This is a song um came across one of my playlists. Uh the song is by Aaron May. The song is called Still Humble. Faces on the shirt like they make clothes Show you how to make it out the dirt I'm talking gravestones Niggas ain't believing me at first I had to take off I just know this ground won't fail That's for sure I just know the time gon' tell That bitch no Pulling paper in any state And I ain't talking shit Still humble Aaron May Make sure y'all check that out Dope, 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 dope I'm gonna go next uh, Vibe a little bit similar Similar I found this song a couple of weeks ago Got a lot of folks on here um, but I think they did an excellent job. I still gotta listen to the whole project, but I'm gonna leave it to y'all. This song is called 1200, Holding On To Your Hand, featuring Terrence Martin, and the song is from Jason Martin, Problem and the Melodics. I just Seen niggas sell they soul for twelve hundred dollars. Oh yeah. I seen bitches getting naked for twelve hundred followers. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna make a billion dollars every twelve hundred hours and fill my bank account with twelve hundred commas. Thank God I'm still alive. I look my karma in her eyes. Cause I used to blame her for.
But when I didn't look scared, she wasn't surprised. Shit, she said to me. I seen people cross their own for twelve hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. I seen bitches change teams for twelve some bottles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just the start up of the journey, though it feels like an mission. I tell it to your eyes, though you're too blind to listen. Thank God I'm still alive. Yeah. One more time. Thank God we're still alive. Dark times, it's hurting, we're still inside, but real niggas survive always. Dance with the devil and bounce back. Plandemic, just a gimmick. Talk to me, I talk black. Niggas stuck in their position, cause they choose to fight facts. Homies say bitches ain't shit, yet they still fuck rats. You don't give a fuck, why should I give a fuck back, but? Jason Martin Problem and the Melodics featuring Terrence Martin. Make sure you go check it out on all your DSPs. And if you meet them one day, let them know that you heard it from After Dinner Conversations. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, I found this great. Um... Give me a second. I got... I'm trying to find what her album is titled. The song is titled All I Need. Um, and it is by Angie Stone from her recent album Love Language, also is called. Game two predictions, especially for Mike. Oh, NBA finals. Ember. Um, nah, I don't think it's hopeless, hopeless for the Heat. Um, they shot two free throws. They shot terribly. Struss and Caleb Martin made like one, two, or two shots combined. Then, and Denver only had 104 points. So the formula is there, but I don't know. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. I think I'm going to say congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. You heard it here first. I'm screaming. Shout out to Ishmith. Shout out to all the guys. Michael Porter, back surgery. Hell of a run. Great year. Great, great ring. We'll see you next time we record. If there's a game five. Yeah, I think there's only three games this week. So we'll see. I got Miami tonight. Uh, We'll Mm -hmm. see. I don't know if they'll lose two games. They haven't lost two games back to back until the Eastern Conference Finals. And I don't think they'll do it to go down 2-0. But we shall see. We shall see. 
them winning tonight would be great. That would be fantastic for them. They lose tonight, oh. that's whatever. I mean, Denver's going to defend home court, but that's not looking good if they lose a game in Miami. So. Yeah, when everybody tighten up, if, you're, if your ankle's hurt, Jimmy, if your ankle's hurt, go get that joint to give Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what type of horse there were. They go put that in your ankle, bro. I need a 35 ball. Second half, yeah. <laughs> trauma for me, trauma, trauma. Uh, but by the way, I'm saying I'm 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 rooting for the Heat. I'm liking the I like underdogs. I would I hope that they can do it. I hope Jimmy Bam get their love and Struess and all them boys. Yeah. But oh yeah, I'm rooting for the Heat too. First of all, I can't lose. Two two of my favorite players are in the finals. So either way, I don't lose. Um, <laughs> and there's there's no Celtics, bro, and there's no Lakers, and there's no Phoenix. So I feel like I had a great NBA season. Y'all all were on the couch with me. So whoever wins, whoever wins. But no, yeah, hopes for Jimmy for sure. Yeah, thank you all for stopping in. Thank y'all for tuning in. Engage with us on the social medias where you can get your podcast, and we'll see y'all next time. Every Sunday, tell us the ways about the culture. Do out and sculpture.